and forever, that you never change, uh, that you're constant and steady. We thank you, Lord, that when you uh, decide to do something, Lord, you carry it through to completion without wavering or changing, Lord. We thank you that you're not a respecter of persons, that you don't look at us and, uh, um, and see us, Lord, as anything less than anyone else, Lord. Throughout all of time, Lord, your love remains the same and, um, and your faithfulness. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are that anchor and that rock, Lord, that we can uh, stand upon and, and, and be assured. And Lord, we just come to you this morning as, as men, Lord. We know that you desire to reveal yourself to us and also to reveal yourself through us, Lord, to a lost world. And, and uh, we just pray that, that this morning you would fill us with your spirit right now. We ask for a cleansing in the blood of Jesus, Lord, that, uh, that we could be washed of every sin, every impurity, Lord, that you would just thoroughly uh, purge us right now, Lord, of everything that is, uh, that is unclean, that's not of you, Lord. We, we confess our need to you, Lord, this morning. And probably of everyone in the church, Lord, we're the most needy. We just pray, Father, that you would meet with us in that need. And, and Lord, we ask that you would continue to conform us into the image of Christ, that you'd continue to raise us up as a light in our families, that we could be a source of strength for our wives and for our children. We pray, Lord, that you would give us to be the light uh, in our, our uh, county and in our world, Lord, in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, um, and even in our church, Lord, that you would help us to rise up and be the example, Lord, that uh, that we wouldn't be a church that is just run by spiritual women or um, it just is existing to exist, Lord, but that you would establish, Lord, a core, a pillar of men here in this church that are spiritual men that will stand up and, um, and, and, and Lord, that will follow you with all their heart and, and declare you as Lord and walk in humility, Lord, and, and yet be strong. And so we just pray for this, Lord, and we pray, Father, that your word would be the number one influence in our lives that there would be no other thing that would take um, a priority or precedence in us, Lord, above your word. We pray, Father, that you would establish our gifts and our calling and what it is that you've designed us to be individually and specifically, that acute need, Lord, that we each can meet. And so, Lord, we just put all of this before you this morning. And, Father, we remember Derek and uh, all those in the church right now, Lord, that are in a, a season of uncertainty, that are being tossed up, Lord. We pray for those that are afflicted, those that are um, in pain or in need, Lord. We pray for Raymond who's here with us this morning, Lord. We just continue to just pray, Father. You're the one that can do all things. And so, Lord, we just ask you, Father, to, um, to please, Lord, reveal yourself. And as we, Lord, break open the scriptures this morning, we ask, Father, that there would just be a refreshing. We pray that there would be an anointing, Lord, uh, that you would give us clarity of heart and mind, ears to hear what you would have to say to us, Lord. And, um, and we just thank you, Jesus, for the privilege that we have of, of, uh, of coming to you this way. So please, Father, um, engage us now and equip us, Lord, in everything we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are looking at the Great Commission, and um, we're looking at it from Matthew's gospel. Um, he, he puts it to us in the most ordered sense that Jesus gave as uh, some of the last words that he spoke before going to heaven, um, and we'll just read it and then, and then kind of catch up to where we're at and move forward from there. Um, but but it, it's Matthew 28, verse 18, it says that Jesus came and he spoke unto them, saying, 
All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Now, we've been looking at the church and the disciple through the lens of this great commission. This is the vision statement for the church. It's what Jesus said that his church would stand for and what it would be about. And it has a few ingredients. First of all, there's a foundation. And the foundation of this commission is that the Lord is the one who has the authority to give it. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And so he has the authority over the church because he owns it. He has established it. Um, And he has sending authority. That is, he can give to us the authority we need in order to fulfill what he's called us to do. It also carries with it a command. The command is that we're to go. The idea behind that going is not necessarily that we would ever serve in a foreign mission field or that we would uh, go any specific place, but rather it's an attitude of the heart, a readiness of the mind. That is, Uh, that we're to embrace the commission that he's given to us. Going for us might be uh, just going to someone in our family, in our household. Going for us might be living, it is, living the Christian life in our home uh, or or wherever we are at any given moment. It's, It's a position that we're in personally that we recognize that we've been commissioned and therefore we are engaged in that commission right now. No matter where you are, you're in it. And so that's the going. So the command is to go. Now the call is twofold. It is first of all uh, expansion, and that is evangelism. We looked at that for a a few weeks as uh, we talked about the need for it and uh, and then some of the methods and and whatnot behind it. But uh, obviously Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And that is the winning of souls, being uh, the example of the believer, sharing the message of the gospel, and seeing people brought out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. And so the first component is expansion, evangelism, and then the second is depth. And that is after a person has been won to Christ, now they are to be uh, discipled and conformed into the image of Christ, the making of the disciple and not just the convert. And so depth is the second component, which is where Jesus said, teaching them to observe whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, with that second component, the expansion, there is by uh, necessity an enabling. There has to be an enabling. Because if you're like me, you would ask, how in the world do you make a disciple? How, I mean, what, what power could we ever possibly possess to be a transforming agent in someone's life to bring them into the conformity of the image of Christ? How would we ever do that? You know, and so there's an enabling, and that's where Jesus finishes things off as he says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that it's not something that we do autonomously, wherein we just study 
certain methods and means and employ practices and whatnot and you know on people and, and somehow it just works that they do what we do or we have the power of persuasion and influence in that way. But rather it's Jesus himself who's with us and in us that does the persuading. He's the one that does the enlightening as people watch, they listen, they observe, they walk with us and, and, and Jesus himself in us and with us gives us the ability to fulfill the commission, whether it be the evangelism or the teaching. So when it comes to this depth component, which is what we look at uh, now in our study of this whole thing, um, it's important that we understand that it's Jesus. And that's why we, uh, I, as you turn to John 15, and you could turn there now. See, when it comes to this uh, depth thing, you know, uh, of teaching people and instructing them in, in the ways of God, um, th- there is a difference of distinction from the evangelism aspect. And that is this, is that the teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you is a lifelong process. See, evangelism is one and done. You, you lead someone to Christ. They pray and receive him. They are born again. They're saved. They're in. In evangelism part, the objective is completed. But the conforming into the image of Christ or the making of a disciple is something that is lifelong. You never arrive at that. Even the Apostle Paul, who is probably the greatest disciple that ever walked the earth, even he said, I don't count myself to have attained, but I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I forget those things that are behind and I press forward towards that mark. And that was the the life call of Paul himself. He says, I'm constantly pursuing daily to die to my old life and to be born and refreshed into the image of Christ. And so here's what that means. It means that every one of us is on an equal playing field. Because at the same time, we're called to disciple others and teach them and train them. We ourselves are also being taught and trained. And you can't separate. See, Here's the point, is that if we as men are not growing closer to the Lord, then it's impossible for us to bring other people along with us in that pursuit. And so in order for us to fulfill this aspect of the Great Commission, it requires that we grow. We cannot bring someone where we are not ourselves going. And you can't impart to someone something that you yourself don't have. So if you don't have a walk with Christ where you're growing, learning, and changing, then you're not going to be successful in influencing others to do the same. And so that becomes the primary means of doing this for someone else is seeing that it's being done in your own life. And as you grow closer to the Lord, the automatic byproduct of that is that you're going to see it happening in the lives of those people around you. And so in order for us to succeed in this, which is our objective, it's why we're here, we're looking at this now, the Great Commission, it's important that we must be growing. So here's, here's the premise. If the heart of the call that Jesus gives to us is to make disciples, you cannot make one unless you are one. It's absolutely necessary. You must be continually growing. So you're in John chapter 15. Let me give you a little bit of background here. This is the night before Jesus would go to the cross. He has just told his apostles, his closest group of disciples, that he's going to be departing from the world. And they're upset. They're in 
you know, shock mode as they've heard this. They don't know what to do with this information. He's saying to them that he's going to be leaving them, but they're going to stay behind and they have work to do. And so he's giving them this instruction. Now, at this moment, that John 15, these words are, are being spoken, they have now left the upper room where they had the Passover feast. And they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus will ultimately be betrayed. And it's there on the way that Jesus speaks the words that we have for us uh, before us in, in chapter 15. And so look with me at what Jesus says here in verse 1. He says to them, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, or the husbandman, or the gardener. Any one of those uh, words will fit. Now, Jesus had this way of using the things around him. Um, that, that they could be seen in parabolic form in order to teach or instruct concerning himself. He did that all the time. And this walk that, that they would be taking from where they were to where they were going, it, it's becoming increasingly um, garden-like. You know that the, 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 the Garden of Gethsemane, there was the great olive trees that were there. It was also a place where there were vineyards. And along the way, um, probably Jesus saw something or pointed to something as they were going, he sees a vine and he uses it then to teach and instruct concerning himself and, and his principles that we're looking at. And he says to them that I am, he says, the true vine. That word true there, you could write close by it or, or, or make a, a mental note that the word means genuine or what, is, what it is in appearance and what it actually produces are the same. That is, that, it, that it's the genuine article, meaning that what you see is what it does. And that's what he's saying about himself as he compares himself to the vine. He says, in me you see a vine. What does a vine do? It gives life to the branches. And that's where he's going with this. He's going to say to them, I am the vine and you are the branches. The claim that a vine makes is that it's able to bring life to those branches so that those branches can bear fruit. And what Jesus is saying is to them, I'm the true vine, that is that I'm able to produce what I say I can produce. He is the Savior. He's the life giver. He's the sustainer, and He's the source. And He's saying that what I claim to be in those things, I am able also to produce because I'm the true vine. It's genuine. It's real. I give those things. I'm the only true source. A vine is a common picture in the Bible, and it was a common product in Israel. He says, uh, I'm the true vine. He says, and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. In other words, what he's saying is that when we're talking about this garden or this vineyard, it's my father that's planted it. Now, that's important to understand because what he's saying to us is that it's God that has ordained this whole thing. This isn't an accident. These aren't wildflowers that just kind of are there, but they are irrelevant or they don't matter, or you might, you know, gather something from them if it's convenient. But no, in other words, this has been all put together on purpose. It's been hedged in, it's been planted, it's been fertilized, it's been tended and cared for, and, and, and no one ever plants a garden or a vineyard just because. They do it because they want to get something out of it. And so the father is the gardener. He's done it on purpose, and he wants it to succeed. 
And so now Jesus goes on to say, these are the two things that my father does. As the gardener, the vine dresser, this is what he does for the vines. Verse 2. He says, every branch in me, now the branches are us. You could look down to verse 5 to understand that because Jesus says, you are the branches. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away and every branch that bears fruit, he purges it or prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, two things he says that the Father does here to the the branches. The one is there, it says he takes it away if it's not bearing fruit. And then the second, if it is bearing fruit, he prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, there are times in the New Testament that you get a real bad translation in the English of the Greek words that are used. And this is one of them. That word, take away, in the Greek language, the word actually means um, to lift up. To lift up, to raise up, or suspend. That's what those words uh, mean there where it says takes away. And and, and that same Greek word that's used there here, translated takes it away, this is how it's translated other places in the New Testament. Remember when when the, um, the, the, the man who couldn't walk was healed by Jesus. He was carried in by his friends on his bed. Well, Jesus healed the man and he said, now take up your bed and go home. Lift up your bed. He wasn't saying throw it away. He was saying take it up and go home. Uh, Again, uh, when Jesus fed the multitude, the 5,000 people with the loaves and the fishes, and he sent his disciples to go and gather up the fragments that remain, he said to to his disciples, he said, go and take up that which remains. Same word, lift it up. He wasn't saying throw it away. He was saying lift it up. Again, Jesus said uh, in Mark's gospel, um, you know, when he was giving them the commission, he said that, uh, that, that when you go in my name, he says, you'll take up serpents, poisonous serpents, but you will not be harmed. He wasn't saying you'll throw them away. He was saying that you'll lift them up. And so I don't know why this was translated here, take them away, because it's not the implication in the Greek, and it isn't even the context of what's going on right here. And here's why. Because if you've ever seen a vineyard, you know, vineyard, vineyard uh, wood or, or grape uh, vines are not the most stable of plants. They don't hold up on their own. You've got to tie them up. There's got to be some kind of a bracing system for the vine and the branches to attach themselves to. And if they aren't attached to something, then they easily become weighted down into the ground and there they can be trampled or, uh, you know, quenched in some way, not aerated properly. And because of that, they don't bear fruit. And so what you would do is you wouldn't cut that branch off. You would lift that branch up and, and then you would tie it to something or, or in some way you would address it, but you wouldn't cut it off. You would lift it up. And that's what he's saying, first of all, that the father does when he sees a fruitless branch is that the first thing he does is that he lifts it up. I think of David. You know, and there, uh, one, probably one of the most fruitful uh, characters in all the Bible. You know, and uh, God calling him from a young age and bringing him through all of the years where he's running from King Saul and then brings him into the palace. And then, you know, think of the challenges that he faced there. And and God was with him in all of it, but there were times, uh, you know, where there was rebellion. He had problems in his family and all kinds of things going on. And David himself says in Psalm chapter 3, he says, Many are they that trouble me. They've, how they've increased, Lord, that trouble me. But then he looks up and he says, But you, Lord, are my strength and the lifter of my head. 
And the Lord is the one who lifts us up. And there's not one of us that from time to time doesn't need uh, to be lifted up. Jesus said to the Pharisees um, when they accused him uh, of violating the Sabbath because he was healing on the Sabbath day. And Jesus looked at them and he said, which of you has a sheep that if it falls into a pit, will he not lift it out on the Sabbath day? And of course, he was saying that that's the very heart and nature of our Father, is that he lifts up those that are uh, fallen into a pit. That's something that God does for every one of us, is that there are times in our life that we need to be lifted up, that our fruit maybe has become quenched, or, or maybe it doesn't even exist because we've been trampled into the earth, and we feel so far from him. Well, he doesn't cut us off in that time. He doesn't throw us away. He lifts us up out of it. And, there's, and it's a constant thing. As any vine dresser would go through and look at the state of his plants, God, he visits us regularly and he sees what's going on in our lives and he knows when we need to be lifted and he is the great lifter of our heads. It's what he does. He lifts us up. And so he says, uh, you know, that, 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 that the, first of all, the Father will lift us. Well, then he doesn't leave us, he lifts us. But then the second thing that it says that he does is that he prunes us. Now, if you've ever uh, had wild-growing trees or if you've ever kept fruit trees or something, one of the things that is uh, vital for their health is that they be regularly pruned. Now, um, <clears throat> the, the, the word there that's used in the Greek language is the word katharyo. It's where we get the word cathartic or uh, um, catheter. If you've ever had the unpleasant experience of Having one of those, uh, you know what that is, but it's, uh, it's basically a, a, a means of removing waste. It's to take out that which is impure, or, or in the context of a plant, it's to cut off the useless shoots. Now, a good gardener will lift up the branch that, it, that has been dragged in the mud, but then what he's going to do is he's going to examine it to find the reason why it's down in the dirt. Why was it weighted down in that way? Uh, and the idea is then that he's going to remove those things that are causing it to be weighed down. One of the things that can happen to uh, a vine or really to any, any plant that bears fruit is that it can grow something that, that's called water sprouts. Uh, botanists uh, call them uh, suckers. That's what the, they're, they're, the, the term is for those things. And the idea is that there are uh, twigs or branches that come off the main thing that, that are not, uh, the, you know, the kind that are going to bear any fruit. They're, they're basically, they're, they're water sprouts. They're sucking, the, they're sapping the tree in a sense, but they're useless. They're weighing it down, but they're not going to bring forth fruit. And there's three things that are true about every water sprout or sucker or branch, you know, that's useless uh, on any tree. The first thing is, first of all, that they'll never bear any fruit. It's absolutely impossible for them to bear fruit because they don't draw uh, that kind of nutrient or have that kind of strength to bear it up. Second of all, they sap the tree and they rob it of its resources and they, they actually weaken it totally because they're taking the nutrients away from that which will make the tree fruitful and, and, and strong. And then third of all, they won't last. Those branches will break off. They, they become so brittle because they don't grow into the heartwood of the branch or the tree. They're just surface wood. They're kind of just gross, almost like a cancer on a tree. And so you can just snap them off and there's no substance to them at all. If you've ever cut through... Um, uh, a, a tree trunk or, 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 you know, or something like that, you, you'll find that the, there's knots in the wood. 
And, and even in a tree trunk, there are knots. And, and the reason that you see those knots is because the, the branch that goes out from that trunk comes right from the heartwood of that tree. And that branch, it grows with the tree. And so it forms around it. And, and that's the strength of that branch. The true branch is that it will attach right to the heartwood of that tree, but not true with a sucker or with a water sprout. There, there's just nothing there. And so here's what the father does is that he lifts up his thing. He recognizes what those suckers are and then he prunes them. He cuts them off. And that's what any... Now, we all have things in our own lives as branches that are, are just water sprouts, suckers. Things that tap the real resources that can make us fruitful to the end that we are, are less productive than we could be. You know, I think of Abraham. And here's a guy, again, called by God. God had a plan, a purpose. God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. But he got this idea along the way. He was supposed to have a son, but it wasn't happening with Sarah, so he decided he would help God out. And so he goes with his handmaid, Hagar, this Egyptian uh, slave girl that became part of their uh, company, and he has a child with her, Ishmael. And he thinks, well, here's, I've helped God out. This is the fulfillment of God's promise. And for 13 years, Abraham invests his life into this sucker, this water sprout, Ishmael. And for 13 years, there's no interaction between Abraham and God at all. You can track it in his life. There's nothing, no word from God, no, uh, you know, no revelation, no interaction, nothing. For 13 years, Abraham's running with this thing, thinking that here it is, this is the fulfillment of God's plan, and then God comes to him. And he says, Abraham, at this time next year, Sarah's going to have a son. And God says, Abraham says, wait, wait, I already have a son. We're, we're 13 years into this thing, God. And, and God said, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, that wasn't my plan at all. I never, I didn't do that. That was you. You did that. I, that wasn't, my thing is with Sarah. I told you it would be through Sarah. And Isaac shall your seed be called. And then he told Abraham, get rid of it. Send Hagar and Ishmael away. They're, they're, a, they're a taxing of your resources. It's nothing but a sucker. It's, you've been giving yourself to this for so long, but it's not of me, Abraham. He was pruned. Something was cut right out of his life that didn't belong there. And God does the same thing for you and for me. We have things in our life, pursuits, desires, ambitions, goals, things, possessions, things that, that become a, a sucker within our life. Our thought goes to it. Our affections go towards it. Our goal, our aim, everything, energy, placed into these things that can never bring forth any lasting fruit. And our faithful Father at some time will lift us up and say, look, there's no fruit in your life, and here's why. And then he cuts it off. Because those branches that cannot bear fruit, those things that are just sprouting, but they're not of him. They must go if we're going to bear fruit. Another reason he'll cut or prune a branch is because sometimes those vine branches, they get so long that all the resource that would go to the fruit goes to just sustain the vine because the vine has gotten too long. And so sometimes he has to cut the vine back, not because he's trying to take away from it, but because he's trying to bring forth more fruit from it. And sometimes you see that happen is where you, you cut something down and you think, oh man, you've cut it down so much, it's, it's almost, you know, it's half of what it used to be, but yet it'll double its product, its produce and its crop because now the, the resources can go to the fruit. And so the father will prune uh, that which, so that's what the vine dresser does. He lifts, he prunes. Now, verse three, what's our position? Here's our position. He says in verse three, he says, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. In other words, if you have been spoken to, in other words, 
God's word has come to fruition in your life and you're saved, you're in the vine, you're clean. You don't have to worry about your position. Well, am I in Christ today? Am I out of Christ tomorrow? No, you're in Christ. You're clean. That's where you stand in Him. But now in verse 4, concerning the branch, He says this is what we're to do. We know what the Father does. We know where we stand. But what do we do? He says this, verse 4. He says, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says the word abide. What does it mean to abide? To abide means that you are at home. That's what it means, to be at home. Are you at home in Jesus Christ? Is he the place where you're the most comfortable, where you, where you just go to veg? We say there's no place like home. You know, even being away like we were for a couple of weeks, as nice as that is, after a while you start to long for home. Think about, okay, I, I want to go cut my grass. I want to go, I want to sleep in my bed. I want to open my own refrigerator. I want to sit on my couch. And, uh, you know, I want to get up in the morning and read the way, you know, I, I want to go through, I want to be home. Are you at home in Christ? That's what he's saying here. And is Christ at home in you? He says, abide in me and I in you. Is your heart a comfortable place for Jesus to inhabit? Does he enjoy his position within your heart? He says that's what we're to do. We're to abide in him. Uh, and that's it. And, and here is then in verse uh, 4, he gives us the secret to having fruit. He said, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself except it abide in the vine. Now, if you, if you were to go to, you know, Barton Orchards and they have the place there where the, grape, the vineyards are and they have the Concord grapes and the other ones, you know, and you were to go and walk through that vineyard and you were to look at, at some of those grape uh, vines and, and you see the amount of grapes that are on them and they are, at the right season, they are fruitful. I mean, they are just the most healthy vines you could ever look at. And if you were to ask the vine dresser there and say, what is the secret to this branch, this tree being as fruitful as it is? What he would do is he would point to the branch and say, come here, I'm going to show you. And he would put his finger on the grapes and then he'd say, now watch this. And he would trace his finger back through and then he would come back down the branch to the point where the branch attached to the vine and he would say, it's right there. That's it. That's the secret to all the fruit that you see out there is this connection right here between the branch and the vine. And that's all that's necessary. If you have a good connection right there, you're going to get this out here. And that's what Jesus is saying concerning our life. See, the, the, the vine is only a mediator. It's a medium that brings all of the resources of the earth to the branch so that it can bear fruit. And what Jesus is saying is that I am the mediator that brings all of heaven's resources to bear in your life so that you can be fruitful. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, except it abide in the vine, you cannot unless you abide in me. And then he, he gets real clear with them in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. 
He that abides in me, that is, you are attached to the heartwood of that vine, and I in him, that is, that he has his hands in your life freely, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now that sounds incredibly simple to me. How about to you? I think one of the most peaceful things in the world is to walk through an orchard. I love apple picking with my kids in the fall. And it's not just because I'm hanging out with them or because I'm picking apples. It's because part of it is because I love walking through the orchard. Just the smell, you know, even the rotten apples that have fallen off the tree, like everything about it is just incredibly peaceful. And if you just stop and there's not a thousand people around and you just listen, you hear maybe the sound of a, a gentle breeze blowing through the leaves of the tree. Or maybe if there's no wind at all, you, you stop and listen and maybe you hear like, you know, some insects, but otherwise, what do you hear? You hear nothing. And it's just absolute silence and peace. And those trees aren't striving. You never hear the trees going, you know. They're not moving around busily trying to, you know, do stuff, trade resources and negotiate with each other. And they're just, all they do is they just hang there. They just sit. And they rest. And they stay attached. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you abide in me, and if a man abides in me and I in him, he brings forth much fruit. And then he says this, for without me, you can do nothing. Now that's a hard verse, isn't it? Because for the longest time, I operated on this 50-50 principle. You know, like, okay, Lord, you do half of it, and I'll do half of it. (laughs) and we'll do this 50-50 thing where we'll have a partnership and we'll get something done. And and it never worked. You know, there was always frustration. Well, Lord, I'm doing my part. How come you're not doing your part? You know, kind of a thing. He says, well, I don't operate on the 50-50. I want to do the work, the Lord says. Okay, Lord, well, we'll go 60-40. You do 60% of the work and I'll only do 40. And I think I'm up around 80-20 now. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but for some reason I just have the hardest time just letting God do what God wants to do with, it, with and, and through my life we as men that's the way we are we're like no Lord I got this this is good you know I appreciate you know your offer but I got this today you know but no we can't do anything apart from the Lord at all without me Jesus said you can do nothing now on the flip side of that If we can get this through our heads that without him we can do nothing, then we could come to Philippians 4.13, which is this, is that through him we can do all things. Paul said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Apart from him, nothing. Through him we can do all things. And if we could just get that down we'd be a whole lot better off. In fact, Jesus said, you'll bear much fruit. Now, when God says much fruit, he means much fruit. He doesn't just mean a little bit or a little bit more. He says much. But if a man abide not not in me, he goes on to say, verse 6, then he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they uh, are burned. Now, I love the fact that Jesus compares us to uh, vine wood. And here's why. Because vine wood serves only one purpose in this world. 
and that is to bear fruit. You can't use it for anything else. You can't even make a coat peg out of vine wood because it's too flimsy and brittle. It's absolutely useless for anything other than bearing fruit. That's true of our lives. They're, They're good for one thing. And if they're not used for that thing, then the only other thing they're good for is to be burned. And not even for firewood, because it makes lousy firewood. You burn it to get it out of the way, <laughs> so, so that you can have room to move around in your vineyard. And that's it. That's all, that's all it's good for if it doesn't um, bear fruit. Now he gives us a clue in verse 7 as to how. How do we stay attached? Because we're talking about resting, we're talking about allowing, we're talking about yielding abiding. What does it look like? How does it work? Look at verse 7. He says, if you abide in me, and here it is, and my words abide in you. How do we abide and allow him to abide? Here's how, is that you allow the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures, to be the number one influence in your life. Is that everything that you think or the way that you see the world, the lens through which you see the world, the authority for the answers that you get for life and the counsel for how you walk through life, that what lies at the very root of your heart in your decision-making process or your worldview process or in anything else that you do is that it comes from the Word of God, is that the Bible, His words abide. They are at home in your heart. We have so many influences, things that we allow to influence and shape the way we look at the world culture, society, uh, opinions, periodicals, news, you know, uh, politics. So many things influence us. What Jesus is saying here is that the key to abiding is letting the Word of God be the number one influence in in your life. And here's going to be the very first result of that. Notice there at the end of the verse, he says that you shall ask what you will and it will be done to you. You're going to have an effective prayer life. When the Word of God is the number one influence in your life, it's going to affect your prayers. And here's why. Because you're going to know how to pray. When you know God's will and you know God's heart, then you're going to be able to pray effectively and you're going to see answers to that prayer. And then there's relationship. You're abiding. You're, you're, you're relating with Him. You're walking uh, with Him. And there is a two-sidedness to it. And then, and then he, he repeats himself in verse 8 by saying, And herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so shall you be my disciples. Do you notice the progression uh, that we've seen here in this chapter? In in verse um, 2, he said uh, that it bears fruit. And then at at, uh, um, the end of verse 2, he says, it's purged that it may bear more fruit. And then in verse 5, he says that, that if we abide in him, that we'll bear much fruit. And then it's repeated here, Um, again in verse 8, that will bear much fruit. So there's fruit, more fruit, and then much fruit. And then in verse 16, he says that your fruit would remain, that it's lasting fruit. That it isn't that we have seasons where we bear fruit and then the fruit goes away or whatever, but that our fruit would just be lasting. And it comes as we abide uh, in him. He says you'll bear much fruit. And notice how it ends in the end of verse 8. And he says, and so shall you be what? My disciples. That's right. See, that's the key to making disciples is first of all, being a disciple. Notice here, this isn't about, the fruit isn't about 
someone else being a disciple. It's about you being a disciple first. And as you and I are disciples of Christ, as we're allowing Him to influence and move our lives, shape our lives, as He is the one, our source, we're at home in Him, He's at home in us. As He's first and He's last in everything that we are and everything that we do, the automatic result of that is that we're going to lead fruitful lives. God's going to do what He does. He's going to lift us up. He's going to prune us. He's going to direct and shape us. He's going to do His thing. And as we abide in Him, we will bear much fruit. And it'll grow like a baby grows in the womb. It'll be so natural, you won't even know it's happening. It's just, it's just a part of your life. It just comes out. You know, uh, that's, that's the way He does it. And then He goes on in verse 9 and He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in my love. And then in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, then you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept uh, my Father's commandments, and I abide in His uh, love. So now we, we've had the Word of God as our influence. Now he talks about having the ways of God as our obedience. In other words, that we, we don't just hear the Word of God and allow it to influence the way we think but that we also do the Word of God and that we allow its principles to be the way we live. And he says that that's, you'll, you'll continue, you'll experience my love. And then that, verse 11, will lead to this. He says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now think about this for a minute. Jesus just said, my joy will be in you. He says this, not 24 hours before he's not even going to look like a human being anymore. And he knows it. He knows everything that he's about to go through for them. The beating, the crown, the nails, the flagellum, everything that he's going to go through, and yet he talks about his joy here. How could Jesus be experiencing joy less than a day before he's going to go through everything that he's about to go through? Here's how because he knew he was in the Father's will. And there's no greater joy than to know that you're in the Father's will, no matter what it is that you're facing in that will. But to know that, that, that you're in the Father's will, there's a joy in that. I, I've shared the story before. I remember when I was working in the tunnel, and uh, that was hell, you know, without getting into all the, the you know craziness of it. But... Um, I was isolated. I was by myself. I mean, it was against the law. Port Authority was like, you can't be in here. You had to sign in and out. Like, they would fake signatures to make it look like there was someone else in there with me, you know, the whole thing. And, and, and I remember one, one uh, day, I had just had enough of it, and I called, at the end of the day, I called my supervisor, and I said, if you don't at least get me someone to work with me in there tomorrow, I'm not going in there again by myself. And he said, I'll get you someone there tomorrow. You know, I promise. I went in the next morning, and sure enough, there was nobody there to go in uh, with me. And I said, well, I said, I'm not going in there by myself. I'm going home. And so I packed up all my tools and uh, uh, getting ready to, to just walk off the job to go home. And right before I did, I grabbed my, uh, you know, smartphone, and I, I was reading through the, uh, the, you know, the daily headlines of the news, just sitting on my big tool bag. And uh, on the bottom, there was a link to... My utmost for his highest, the, the devotional by Oswald Chambers. And, and I just said, oh, you know, I clicked on it just to see what it would say. It was August 10th. 
And I read through the whole thing, and it talked about suffering as the will of God. In the last two sentences of the, uh, of the devotional for that day were these words exactly. It says that God puts us in the place where we're going to bring him the most glory. And sometimes we're completely incapable of judging what that place might be. And I looked up, I smirked and sarcastically said to heaven, I said, are you saying to me that the place where I'm going to bring you the most glory is in a tunnel, in a pit, in hell, where I can't influence another human being? And I heard heaven reply, yes. <laughs> you know, I put my knee pads on, and I grabbed my tool bag, and I went and got in the tunnel that day. And would you believe I had so much joy that day? I'm t and I qualify that, that day. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't think I'm super spiritual or anything, you know. But the reason I had joy that day is because I knew I was in the Father's will. I knew that that's right where he wanted me to be. I was absolutely assured of it. And so I was able to be in the pit and to have joy because I was in the Father's will. And see, when, when you're abiding in Jesus Christ and his word is abiding in you, and you're walking in obedience to that word because your desire is to be in the Father's will because you want to bear fruit for His name. And you want to bring Him the most glory by bearing fruit that He produces in your life. There's no greater joy than that. That's life. Jesus said, this is life. And that's why we go right back to the beginning. He said, I am the true vine. Because He produces what He says He can produce. And he says he can produce fruit in our lives as we simply rest and abide and surrender and say, Lord, be my vine, be my source, be my life, be my all. We'll find ourselves fulfilling the commission that he gave to us. Amen? Amen.